And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid conservative and just plain right. Covering down on some major ground across the beautiful state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way on down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, parts of going back from Tuscaloosa, back over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, Boomer. I'm just like slinging it, man. There's too, too many. <laughs> um, all right. Number one of the Triple Dipper, policy versus reality. And by the way, stay tuned because top of the hour, we're going to be talking with U.S. Senator Katie Britt uh, and get uh, get some info from her on what she's been up to. I know she's traveled to the southern border twice and to the Middle East. So we'll talk to Senator Britt here in about 30 minutes. But right now, policy versus reality. So what, what about, you know, there are times when you see laws put in place and you're thinking, huh, that ain't going to work. That's, that's not going to turn out well. Well, like for instance... Here's, an, here's a for instance, policy versus reality. You set the policy or you establish the law, the reality comes out quite different, like this one. Story right now sitting up on Fox News website. I saw it just before the show started, and I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and lead off with that. Here's the headline for you. Two children dead after a Democrat-backed law prohibits the police from pursuing suspects who were driving at 111 miles per hour. So, so here's the storyline. Um, a Washington state sheriff is apparently calling out the, the Democrat-backed law that bars police from chasing after criminals from certain crimes. In other words, you've announced to the world, hey, if you can make it to your car after committing certain crimes, yeah, the police are not allowed to chase you. And what happened? The guys who committed the crimes jumped in their car, hit 111 miles per hour, had a major accident, killed two children. Maybe if they had been allowed to be pursued by police, it might have been a different story. But instead, you got a situation where awful policy, stupid ideas, wind up creating a reality that's totally different than what they thought it would. Well, there's a story that came off of Fox News also uh, yesterday. What's today? No, today, actually. And here's the headline for it, because this is happening nationwide right now. The headline is, Is Progressive Fever Finally Breaking? Five Signs That Americans Are Getting Fed Up With Woke Politicians and Policies. So it lists five examples of things that are happening that's like, whoa, that didn't settle in the way they thought it would. So here's the first one. Uh, First of all, Joe Biden, it says, shocked leftists by declaring that he's going to veto Washington, D.C.'s new soft on crime bill, leaving 173 House Democrats who voted for it twisting in the wind. (laughs) I'll come back to that and tell you what that means in a minute. Number two, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot gets unceremoniously dumped by voters and pro-cop Democrat leads the initial round of voting. Nice. Number three, Puffin Books faces outrage by vowing to make Roald Dahl's iconic books like Willy Wonka and the others make those books woke and quickly announces it will actually now continue to publish the original versions. Okay. Next one, boycott Hershey, hashtag boycott Hershey, trends on Twitter for two days as critics bash the ad campaign that honors women by featuring a transgender activist. Mm. And number five, the Board of Governors at the University of North Carolina has now voted to ban diversity, equity, and inclusion statements in the connection with their hiring and admissions processes. So all I'm saying is those are major woke policies. Those are things that are happening. And the blowback on them has been so significant that it's creating an alternative. And the reality is not what they thought it would be when they put the woke policy in place. The thing with Joe Biden, that's been almost laughable. 
So Joe Biden, oh, I believe in D.C. statehood. I believe that, you know, D.C., we don't need to get involved in their business. When the Washington, D.C. city council wants to do something, we need to treat it like a state legislature. They just need to pass those laws. Well, they were passing this super, super soft on crime thing right there in the law, right in the middle of, you know, the, the, the capital environment. And Democrats were told that Joe Biden would veto it if it ever got to his desk if, if they had a if congressional action was taken to override D.C. City Council. He said he would he said he would he basically told ah, you have to worry about me. I believe in D.C. statehood. I'll 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 take care of that, <laughs> except that <laughs> except now he's not going to veto it. Um, he, he, the, the, basically, he, I'm sorry that he will allow for the law to be passed banning D.C.'s. Uh, efforts. Well, it's got it's got Democrats all in a kerfuffle because they say they voted for the bill, believing that he would then not let it happen. Well, I got news. Vote your conscience, y'all. Don't wait on the executive branch to do your work for you. But in the meantime, what's happening is even Joe Biden can't go with this one. How about this? Mayor Lori Lightfoot, I talked about on the show the other day, the first governor in Chicago, the first one in 40 years, to not win re-election. Why? Because crime is through the roof in Chicago. That's why. Because people are sick of it. In her first year in office, she promised to cut the Chicago police budget by $80 million. And a year later, she was begging the federal government for help because the the crime rate was soaring. What did she think was going to happen? Everybody will rush to me. It will be nirvana. It will be wonderful. We shall have a utopia. Nope, didn't work out. I could go on and on, but the and, and I'll be honest with you too, the thing about uh, Hershey's, if you have not seen it, Hershey's candy bars, Hershey's chocolate, this is candy. Hershey's candy bars decided to celebrate women's, you know, women's history month. And how did they do it? They got five separate activists. You know, not, they didn't celebrate moms. They didn't celebrate hardworking women of industry. They didn't celebrate, you know, uh, uh, what was her name, Rosie the Riveter. They didn't celebrate anything that has, you know, sort of a, a sense of honor and work. They, they honored activists. And one of those, by the way, is not even a woman. It's a dude who wears a dress. A transgender activist, was her, his face is on the, on, the, on the front of a Hershey candy bar to celebrate Women's Month. And Hershey's is facing a blowback from it. Well, you look at these kind of things, you think, okay, the policy and the reality, two different things. Another story, this one actually came from, um, this one right here comes from uh, National Review. Great story. And I hate the fact that I feel like we're always, Boomer, I hate like we're always be- beating up on Oregon, man. But they kinda, we are. They, they kind of they earned it, <laughs> they, though, right? They definitely earned it. <laughs> I'm just, it's, they're, they're, they're a little cuckoo up there right now. It's a low-hanging fruit, man. I'm just grabbing yeah. that low-hanging fruit. That's exactly right. But here's a policy that went badly. Soft on crime in Portland has gotten so bad that that literally now Walmart is closing down. Walmart. Walmart. Yeah, like Walmart said that we're done. Walmart. You know something's wrong when Walmart closes. Well, I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's what's wow. happening. National, National Review story came out this past weekend. Walmart announces its plan to close its final two locations in Portland, Oregon at the end of March. It says we have nearly 5,000 stores across the U.S., and unfortunately some do not meet our financial expectations. Well, these closures are going to result in nearly 600 employees being laid off. Mm. And it's all because of record-breaking retail theft, and the laws of that area have made it so easy to be a criminal that Walmart says we're done. 
Uh, they've already lost Nike and Cracker Barrel loca- locations in the area, and then they've also lost a number of small businesses that just can't maintain. So, yeah, there's an idea. Let's tighten up on crime, maybe. How about that? Maybe, maybe, maybe the policies are not matching the reality. Here's another one from National Review. Oh, dude, it's Oregon again. Another Oregon. Yeah, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I think Oregon's a beautiful state. It's gorgeous. But they're just whacked. Yes. They're whacked. <laughs> they're like the Joker card, man. They're whacked. So uh, the results are in. Headline, National Review, dated today. Head, results are in. Oregon's free community college program failed to deliver. So here's an idea. We're going to give a free community college to everybody. Everybody, all y'all. Everybody wants it. Come on in. Whoop, whoop. Didn't work. Says the free community college program will be a win for students, more of whom would earn college degrees and get better paying jobs. I get it. It's wonderful. It would also be a plus for the state, which would get more tax revenue from all the new college grads with higher salaries. Yeah. They were hailed as a national leader in the free college movement, being championed by then-President Barack Obama and Democrat Socialist Bernie Sanders. Eight years later, the program called Oregon Promises and Tatters and maybe on the chopping block. It has helped a small number of students go to college, but most of them still can't afford the costs of doing so. Most of the folks who it's trying to address still don't have the means to go to school because they actually have to work to pay their bills. Critics were informed that Oregon's program would not actually help the state's neediest students. Hmm, what? (laughs) It uses what's called a last-dollar funding model, meaning you have to exhaust all other means of revenue, like Pell Grants and scholarships first. But nonetheless, the policy is not matching the reality. How about this? This is a story from Fox, dated two days ago. Adams says Lightfoot defeat serves as a warning sign for the country. You know it's bad when the Democrats are saying, did you see what happened to Lori Lightfoot? Dude, we better tighten up. That's exactly what's happening. New York Mayor Eric Adams said Sunday that his fellow Democrat Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's election defeat last week should serve as a warning sign for the whole country. He went on to say that public safety is one of his prerequisites. Okay, better tighten up a little bit there, Mayor. Asked if he considered what happened to Lightfoot a warning sign for him in New York. Adams kind of said kind of the contrary. I think it's a warning sign for the whole country, meaning he sees it and he agrees. It's a clear indication that the policies that she was putting out did not match the reality. And the voters of that area, overwhelmingly Democrat, by the way, that chose to vote for another Democrat who had different policies. I'm just saying policy and reality. Two different things. And woke policies are failing left and right. And the question becomes now, have we finally gotten to the point that we're going to put the boot to them? And I don't know. We'll see. Boomer, take me to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. We'll come right back and wrap this section up. Number one of the Triple Dipper, policy versus reality. And then top of the hour, U.S. Senator Katie Britt calling in right after that commercial break. All right, you guys, y'all stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back.
We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. That bump, Boomer, when we did the interview with Ted Nugent uh, a while back. What, uh, oh, which, yes. And it was during one of the breaks, I think, so we don't actually have it played on the show. But he, he grabbed his guitar at one point and started riffing something. Was it that? Was it Stranglehold? Yes. I think it was. It was Stranglehold. Yes, I think it was. It was right after he, uh, he, he, cussed, he you out. cussed me out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty funny. So, so those of y'all that don't remember, look back through our podcast and find the interview we did with Ted Nugent, which I think was August of last year, and uh, and and we're headed out to uh, to a break, and and Boomer hit the outro music, and and it was Aerosmith, yes, and and, and, and I saw Nugent's face get kind of funny look, and he we we went to break, and he goes, Boomer, you sob. <laughs> You got Ted Nugent on the show and you play Aerosmith? And then he grabbed his guitar and goes, use this next time. And he just started started just jamming, you know, just putting out uh, some uh, stranglehold. It was it was pretty awesome. It was one of those surreal moments. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the show and I got Ted Nugent on here playing guitar live. Um, pretty awesome. We need to find that. We have to beep out the uh, the part where he cussed you out. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right. Hey, back to uh, finishing up this segment on um, policy versus reality. So here's another one. Uh, this is like the second one I've had from uh, National Review. Uh, National Review dated yesterday. Here's the headline. We cannot have EVs without the E. That makes sense. We can't have electric vehicles without electricity is what he's saying. So he goes on to say, Shifting energy use towards renewable resources imposes significant costs on consumers who, given the choice, overwhelmingly opt for cheaper and more reliable fossil fuel sources. Electrifications of cars and appliances also creates its own cost in the form of additional electricity generation. What he's basically saying is if you're going to start putting more people in the plug-in world, you better have some juice for them to plug in too. There's the Phil Williams version. But he goes on to say, Without a large reduction in miles driven, the electrification of all or even most passenger vehicles would increase the per capita demand for electric power by about 25%. In other words, here's the deal, policy versus reality. We're going to have everybody electrified by the year 2035. We're not going to even need to have, you know, gas pumps no more. It's going to be great. Okay, well, you better find a way to increase the grid by at least 25% because that's the estimate of what you're doing to the grid by forcing everybody to plug their vehicles in and charge them up. It says more than 70% of the baseline electricity generation would have to be retired, and another 11% nuclear would not expand. So just putting the 25% in perspective, though, that's going to be a major grid enhancement. President Biden is pledging to do all this, though, Cutting out fossil fuel generation. And at the same time, it says in the article, an additional 1 billion megawatt hours would be necessary to power all of the new electric cars and stoves, etc. And we estimate this would cost another $250 billion annually. That brings the total cost of the Green New Deal to almost 2% of the GDP. And the cost would be disproportionately borne by the states that are having to do away with their energy resource drilling. So there's a policy versus reality. Oh, cool. Electric vehicles. That's great. Greta Thunberg will give you an award. It'll be awesome. Oh, wait a minute. The electricity has to come from somewhere. We can't have the EVs without the E's. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. And the grid cannot currently sustain. You're looking at a 25% increase in the grid. Meanwhile, Yahoo Finance. 
has a piece that came out today that literally says that the thirst for oil and gas is, is, is rising despite the overwhelming push for electric vehicles. And it goes on to point out that, yeah, sure, during COVID, we had a bit of a dip because nobody was driving. But now that everybody is, and then it says in China, Chinese oil consumption is poised to hit a record this year. Daily demand will reach an all-time high of 16 million barrels a day in China alone. And the impending crunch right now shows that even as the world embraces cleaner sources of energy, the thirst for oil is hard to slake, and the supply pinch has been a boon for crude producers. And it goes on to say, though, but hey, but the U.S., the U.S. is not helping in this. We are reducing our output, mm. reducing our output despite the increase in demand. So we're going to go ahead and, and just say, you know, we're just not going to, you know, we're going to go ahead and have a self-inflicted wound. That's exactly what that is. Policy versus reality. While other countries, they're letting their demand increase and their production increase, and when the demand increases and production increases at their sites, they increase their productivity and their GDP goes up because they're producing more, whereas we are limiting ourselves for what good reason? None. All right, I think the last one I may have, policy versus reality. How long did the masking thing go on? It's still going on in some places, apparently. I did not know this. There are places that are still requiring masks. Story on Fox Business. Dated two days ago. The New York City police are now telling businesses they should require customers to take off their masks. <laughs> Why? Because it's become an awesome opportunity for people to do retail theft. They walk in with a mask already on. Nobody thinks a thing about it. Remember back in the day, if somebody walked in with a mask, you were immediately on your guard. What's he up to? What's she doing? Why are they, why are they wearing masks? What's going on? Hey, you. Now it's like, Oh, I can't see your face. Oh, you're wearing sunglasses and a hoodie too? Cool. Come on in. Next thing you know, surveillance cameras can't do their work. So NYPD Chief Jeffrey Madry said during a press conference last week that masks are making it possible for thieves to escape detection on video surveillance. And he's encouraging businesses to require masks now to be taken off. <laughs> because, because, Boomer's is laughing. Because policy, policy is not matching reality. There you go. All right, that's enough of that one. Hey, we're going to come right back here in a minute after this next break. Uh, U.S. Senator Katie Britt will be calling in. Uh, we'll hear what she's got to say about how things are going, you know, sort of jumping in feet first, man. I mean, if you watch the news, uh, she has not been idle. Uh, she did not uh, sort of take her time getting up there and getting busy. Having been the former chief of staff for uh, uh, U.S. Senator Richard Shelby, she already knew her way around the Capitol building. But now she's the U.S. Senator herself. And now we've got uh, uh, her making trips to the Middle East and, uh, and also, uh, I think, at least two trips down to the southern border. So we will talk to U.S. Senator Katie Britt right after this break, get a feel for how things are going, get her thoughts on what about those trips? What does she see in terms of what we need to do differently than what the Biden administration might be not leading on? All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Right back. 